Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome back to Window Watch, a show where we discuss all the latest Norwich City coming and goings in the transfer window. Joined by Paddy Davitt on what is the first day of pre-season. Well, not really the first day of pre-season, first game of pre-season. That's probably the better way to put it. But feels like uh, the new season is is truly beginning tonight. Norwich, of course, travelling to Kingsland Town. Um, let's start with that, Pad. How? Well, I guess pre-season is uh, people take from it what they want, I suppose. But are you? Do you get excited for pre-season? Are you looking forward to to this game? It's, it always feels like kind of a new chapter, doesn't it, when pre-season rolls around again? Yeah, certainly the first one. And in all my time, maybe not so much the last season or two, but that first one was always quite a a game for Norfolk because they would play traditionally a local team. You know, I've been. I can remember I've been to Galston, Wroxham, Yarmouth, uh, Norwich United, Durham. Um, for this occasion, and and tonight it's nice that it's Kings Lynn. For me personally, it's great because uh, uh, I basically before I sort of started covering Norwich, I was covered Kings Lynn for eight or nine seasons. It was the previous Kings Lynn. Actually, if anybody knows their backstory. They they got wound up in the, in the High Court and paid um, tax bill. I think it was. Um, and what we have now is the reborn Kings Lynn Town. So that's how long I've been doing the job. And it, I was covering the, the prior incarnation, but. Uh, Really is a great club with a great fan base and and fantastic to see what they're doing now under Stephen Cleave, the owner, chairman, and, and obviously Ian Culverhouse. Guy needs no introduction to Norwich fans, and uh, you know to be operating at the top level of the non-league game and essentially only a promotion in effect from from the football league is a phenomenal rise for that club. And uh, I think it'll be a very special occasion tonight for anybody who's, who's who's lucky enough to have got a ticket and be in there. I'm looking out my window; the sun is shining. It's going to be a, a nice summer's evening, hopefully, in the West Norfolk. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, like you say, it's a sense of renewal, particularly after, you know, you know, the 12, 18 months that everybody's had to endure. And if you're a football fan and not being able to see your team, um, you know, there'll be a lot of people probably at the walks tonight, Norwich fans, who maybe haven't seen them for, I don't know, Leicester at home was the last Carrow Road full house, wasn't it? Um, back in March not 2020. So I'm sure it'd be quite emotional for, for a few people as well. But... Yeah, this is quite a special fixture, I think. Um, and it's great for Norfolk that you've got essentially their two biggest clubs uh, meeting tonight. Uh, and it's all about looking ahead and looking forward and looking, hopefully, forward to brighter times for, for everybody. Yeah, 1,500 fans are going to be in the walks. It's going to be some occasion. It's it's going to be slightly surreal, I think, to watch a, a football match where there's going to be fans around all, all those sides. I mean, we had 2,000, didn't we, before Christmas? But that always felt a little bit... Um, a little bit strange, uh, I suppose. Lots of people asking about where they can watch the game. Uh, not sure, unless you've heard anything, Paddy, in terms of what the club are planning stream-wise. But, of course, we'll have full coverage on our on our website. Uh, we'll have the, the live blog and all the usual stuff if you want to follow along. But, um, yeah. Pad, no, I, I haven't, no, not tonight, Connor. I haven't heard about um, a live streaming option tonight. Um, maybe there, there would have been slightly concern that might have impacted in terms of the gate from the Kings Lynn element. But... I think there is talk that they've obviously got two um, after tonight. It's two behind closed doors games at Colney next week, Lincoln and, and Huddersfield. Um, and I think they're trying to to get a plan in place that those games will be live streamed. Certainly I think Huddersfield will be, and that would probably be out on the club's YouTube channel. Um, Lincoln, if they can do it, I think they would like to do it as well. So next week, hopefully uh, you'll be able to watch those games. But tonight, unless they're going to announce something this afternoon. I've not heard anything along the lines of it's going to be a live stream affair tonight. So there's only one place to follow it. That's on our channels. 
Absolutely, yeah. You know where to find us. And of course, any um, comments or questions about No City's transfer activity, perhaps the game tonight as well, um, get them down below. You can see we've got plenty to go through already. Um, let's start then, Pad, with a name that we've mentioned, I think, since the first one of these that we've done. Uh, Christoph Ayer, I think it's probably going to be the last time we speak about him. Uh, reports suggest he's very close to joining uh, a team that came up with Norwich-Brentford in, in, in a deal around £13.5 million, which I think if, if you're a Norwich fan, I've certainly seen a few people say this on social media, only a handful. So I'm not enough to say engaged that it's the majority, but certainly a few people to say those figures aren't a million miles away from where Norwich City launched their bid. Of course, as, as we reported, that was one bid in the region of £10 million, however you structure that, um, for his services back in May, wasn't it? That got rejected. Brentford um, have, have obviously upped the ante a little bit. Norwich have subsequently called their interest from from that um but he was definitely a target he was someone they wanted this summer and ultimately they're they're going to miss out to to a team that have uh, has come up alongside them do you think that will uh, maybe not bother but do you think that will that will probably hurt hurt fans more than that will Stuart Webber but how, how do you how do you sort of read this one I suppose yeah I think there will be an element because it's Brentford with the greatest respect you know a team who followed them out of the championship who you know first time in the prim- well, Premier League first time in the top five for I don't know how many decades and uh and also a club, what I find a bit strange about this is that, you know, if it is a 13 and a half, 40 million package, um, and that it would appear would be the initial fees. And I'm sure there'll be, there'll be plenty of add-ons that could take it higher, which backtracking slightly is why Norwich were going to go nowhere near that. You know, their bid was 10 plus um, 13 and a half for a guy now in the final 12 months of his contract. It's not going to happen under Stuart Webber, I'm afraid. So, um, and it doesn't matter, you know, that, you know, it's it's a potential relegation rival if you want to be as brutal about it uh who's gone in and, and done the business um for yeah not not much more but three or four million pounds when you're Norwich City and, and you don't have the volume of, of finance available that the vast majority of the Premier League have got to play with you know and that's essentially if you think about it what's happened this week earlier this week they brought yeah. in a guy from France Pierre-Lise Malou for an initial three and a half million so that it's that differential you know if if they maybe go to that for Ayer, um, they're not probably bringing in Lise Malou this week. So, you know, ultimately Norwich's interest uh, has ended for, for a period of time. Um, it, it, there was nothing uh, in a further bid or raising their bid. They were very clear what they felt his value was worth. Once Celtic didn't share that view, good luck, move on. And it's Brentford who obviously took the plunge. I think Leverkusen, I've seen some reports in Germany today, they, they seem to be very unhappy because I think they felt there was an agreement in place with the player. The player had almost um, given his his verbal agreement to go and play in the Bundesliga. Um, and clearly they was, wasn't able to do the deal with Celtic on the terms Celtic wanted. So good luck to Brentford. But but I do, it just struck me as a bit of a strange one. I don't know whether it's maybe it signals that they're expecting Ivan Tony to move on and they're going to bank a considerable sum for him because... You know, the whole sort of ethos of Brentford has seemingly been kind of not that dissimilar to Norwich. You know, the money ball, identify players in maybe untapped markets, improve them with good coaching. Um, and then, you know, you saw it with Ollie Watkins. You'll probably see it with Ivan Tony now. There's been one or two other examples of it. Uh, move players on. So, you know, I, I think there's an element of gamble about it. it he, he looks to have something about him, but he's coming off the back of a poor season for Celtic um, and he hasn't played in the Premier League before. So, you know, if I was looking at it independently, I, I think Norwich made the right call. I don't think he is a player you you pay thirteen and a half million pounds for because there's too many variables for me. What that means in terms of Norwich and centre backs, time will tell. I think there's there's clearly been a shift 
away from maybe feeling they needed to prioritise that at the start of the window. That might have been the case. But, um, you know, the signs are pretty positive in terms of Gibson's fitness for, for Liverpool. Ditto, Grant Hanley. Andrew Wamabamba Daly, who we'll probably see at the walks tonight. He's he's really come back in great, Nick, um, and kicked on again from what he did at the back end of last season. And, of course, Christoph Zimmerman is still in the mix. So, the urgency is less. That isn't to say they're not still looking. They clearly are. Um, but my personal opinion is I I think once it's gone up to 13, 14 million, no, step away. And they did. And uh, and we'll see. Good luck to him. Good luck to Brentford. We'll see how that one pays out. But there's, for my mind, a lot of gamble around that deal. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And, and you're right, the difference essentially between Norwich's bid and what he's eventually going to Brentford for is a PLA Malou, isn't it? Um, and with Norwich and, and their resource. I think Brentford have probably got a, a bit more resource than Norwich. I think that's fair to say, but not drastically um, compared to other Premier League clubs. Um, it, it is going to be interesting to see how he does. And Celtic have clearly done quite well to get the fee that they have for for a player with uh, with a year left on, on his contract. And uh, Liam... Uh, as commented and says, uh, I'm glad Norwich aren't signing him. And, and Andrew Howell, just widen it out on the centre-back debate, has said, uh, with Ayer off to Brentford, do you uh, do you think Norwich will go for Joe Worrell from Forest? He's someone that's been linked on multiple occasions over the, the past 12 months or so. Doesn't really seem to have kicked on this summer, but um, a, a very talented young central defender. Is, is is that one that you would consider if, if, if you were the powers that be at Norwich City, Pad? Well, they definitely like him. I, I, I'm, I'm 100% sure about that. He's, he's a player who does fit the profile in terms of his age, in terms of his ability on the ball, because you can cl- clearly see with a Gibson and the work Farker's done with, with a Hanley. It, it's about being able to step into midfield um, and breaking the lines as well and being able to, you know, forward-thinking passing options as well. Um, and I think Worrell is in that same category by all accounts. It'll come down to, I'd, I'd, off the top of my head, I'd have to go and check. I don't know where he is contractually with Forrest. Um, you know, I don't think he's quite in the eye 12 months to go uh, vibe. So that would be a factor. Um, and ultimately, I think they haven't shown the hand, but then they have, because clearly if if, if they, they bought, to, you know, when it went above 10 million for Ayer, I, I, I don't see them... Um, looking for centre-backs that are going to take them beyond that threshold, really. Um, you know, unless there's a creative way they can they can do a deal in terms of the, the add-on elements to that and the sell-on fees, potentially. So, by all accounts, I think Forrest were looking, whenever I've seen him linked, I think Burnley were linked with him at the start of the window and, and the reports were, that, you know, it'd be, it'd be 15 million plus. If that's the case, let's draw a parallel with Aya. It won't be happening. So, player they like. Um, but they liked Ayer and they didn't They didn't push the boat out. So I, I don't see Joe Worrell coming in um, unless there's a deal to be done uh, on Norwich's terms. Yeah, absolutely. He has been linked very heavily with Burnley this window, although I, I believe they've signed, uh, is it Nathan Collins from Stoke? I believe uh, he, he's gone to Burnley. So whether that rules that out, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But um, yeah, whether Forrest need to have a major sale to then impact the rest of their spending again. I'm not too clued up with their situation at the moment. Connor, let me just throw in, and this is completely me being a devil's advocate, who, who, who have Forrest been linked with from Norwich in the last sort of week or so, you know? Certain Jordan strike, Hugo. Jordan Hugo. Yeah. So uh, that's, I'm just, that's me left field, just throwing that one in there. But what I was saying about a creative deal, you know, could there be a make-weight option there with Jordan Hugo? Who knows? You know, if, if it works for all parties, then... Maybe that's something that could happen, but uh, I, I certainly haven't heard anything of a of a nature that would suggest inside Car Road at the minute. Joe Worrell is is one they're actively pursuing that. Yeah, there you go. So, so no no real update in terms of of Joe Worrell. I expect that will be a name that that gets banded about for 
for quite a while for the reasons that, that Pad stated. Clearly, uh, one that, that, that does fit the profile. Uh, a player they aren't after as well is Mienti Abena, who uh, is playing in, in Slovakia. Uh, there was a, a Dutch report yesterday, wasn't there, linking him with a, a move to Carrow Road. That isn't one that, that they're pursuing at this stage. And I'm not totally convinced he would qualify for a work permit, although I, I think they played in the Europa League qualifiers, so maybe would be on the cusp of getting one. So, um, but anyway, that's that's not a name that is um, that is there. That, that centre-back one is interesting, isn't it, Pat? Because I think a, a lot of fans looked at that at the start of the summer and said, well, that's the position they they need real quality and that's the one they need to go invest in. And they have signed Ben Gibson permanently. That's a, that's a deal that was already paid for out of before their sort of summer budget came into consideration. Why, why do you feel, I know we, we kind of spoke about this last week, but why do you feel now that they're kind of shifting their priorities a little bit away from that area? Is it in terms of finding a, a substantial step up maybe to the options they've got for the money that they've got, for, for the pot of money that they've got? Or is it more, you mentioned Andrew Omabamadeli, is it more waiting to see how he kicks on in pre-season, whether he does kick on, and then seeing if that situation evolves a little bit before then committing to someone for perhaps a, a reasonable sum of money? I think all of those factors are in play. I don't think there's one overriding factor driving what they're looking to do in terms of central defence moving into the, the new season. My mind goes back to two summers ago when we were at this cycle again. It was promoted first time under Farker and Weber and about to go into the Premier League. And I can't think off the top of my head who was the first pre-season game of that summer, but I'm pretty sure nobody had Todd Cantwell starting at Liverpool, did they, uh, when it got to the real business um, on the right side of, of midfield that day and then went on to certainly in the first sort of honeymoon period, two, three months, looked really at home in the Premier League. Yet at the start of that summer, bearing in mind he hadn't been a frontline option in the previous season when they'd won the championship title. So can you see parallels with Omobama Daly? I'm not saying to the extent where Omobama Daly would start against Liverpool this time around at Car Road on August the 14th, but in terms of a player who maybe... Outside of camp, we don't we don't see them necessarily that close to the eleven or, or, or the squad, the match day squad. But inside the camp, if Fark has seen what he wants to see day in, day out now, now they're back in training. Um, don't rule it out. Don't rule Omabama Daily being firmly in the conversation. And if you've got ahead of him, Zimmerman, Hanley, Gibson, they're all fit, they're all playing regularly. We saw what Grant Hanley did with a, a fitness free run until unfortunately he got you know he got an injury there in the Euros for Scotland. But you know, he he looked a completely different player in terms of, you know, his his um, his quality uh, in terms of just his impact and his influence, simply by keeping him fit, keeping him firing, keeping him playing. If you say, if you, if anything, I mean, the workload is going to be less in the Premier League. It's less games. There's less of the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday relentlessness. It should be easier. You know, if if the the work that City's fitness people and sports science and medical staff do around Gibson, around Hanley to keep these guys fit. And, and that was, to be honest, when we spoke to Stuart at the start, there's some, something he, he made a, a, a lot of play that they have to be better in terms of keeping their personnel fit and on the pitch and on the training pitch and available to Daniel more often than not. And that should be a bit easier with a, a more uh, less congested uh, schedule in the Premier League compared to the Championship. So, Right here, right now, it, it you know it's hard to say that's it. You know that they've decided on Obama Daly is the one almost to fill that fourth hole in terms of their four centre backs. But if we see what what they they hope they want to see in these early pre season games, I think it recedes down the pecking order a little bit in terms of a priority, which maybe wasn't the case. Obviously, at the start of the summer, 
of Obama Daly. Yes, he came in, looked decent, but it's a huge step up for that young man. But, you know, as Farker has always said, he brings them to the door, these young players. And if they walk through it, then they'll stay his, they'll stay in his thoughts. And uh, certainly right here, right now, that man is firmly in his thoughts. So, yeah, uh, I wouldn't say, wouldn't say ruling out completely, but I think there's other areas of the team now that are looking to strengthen. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and, and I guess you've you've kind of answered this question already from uh, the plastic paddy on YouTube. I don't think that's a reference to you, Pad. Uh, well, <laughs> they said, "Do you think Zimmerman uh, will be sold to make way for a new centre back, or will we loan out Omar Bamadeli to a Championship team?" With Zimmerman um, being the age that he is, injury prone and fallen behind, I think he should go, which is a, a, an interesting point. What do you make of Christoph Zimmerman and where he's at in terms of his Norwich City career? I mean, he was originally signed, wasn't he, as a, a backup centre-back? That, that seems to be the role that he's, he's fallen into now. Good character, all of those things. But if, if we're talking about reducing the quantity and upping the quality, does he fit into that for, for you? That's a difficult one. It's Because di- Daniel often calls him the ultimate professional. So I don't think in terms of a guy you'd want around the camp, um, he's one they'd want to move on necessarily. But you know, I don't think we're breaking any confidences. I, I'd imagine he was a little bit frustrated there when he was fit towards the end of the season. That, well, not towards the end of the season, but that period until he got another injury, and then that was the end of his season. I think to sit there and, and watch Gibson and Hanley doing what him and Ben Godfrey had done, you know, two seasons prior, um, and forge that you know unbreakable central defensive partnership. He he will want to be playing games, but I just think with him. Again, that common theme to his career, his Premier League season was was essentially wrecked by injury. You know, firstly, there was the, the summer before where he, he got, a, I think Farker called it a freak knee injury off the top of my head and then had to have surgery and then came back at West Ham, of course, uh, early on, lasted about 20 minutes. Sebastian Allo went through him, career potentially ending uh, foot injury, foot ankle, I think it was. And, and then he was in and out thereafter when he was fit. So... I don't know, if you're Christoph Zimmerman, given his backstory, given, you know, he was almost on the cusp in Germany of maybe jacking it in professionally and going to be a teacher or a, was it a sports teacher, I think. You know, maybe he just thinks there's, there's another opportunity for him in the Premier League and he wants to grab it, albeit he knows he's a little bit lower than the pecking order. But no, I don't I don't see I don't see Zimmerman going in this window. Maybe in January, if he hasn't kicked a ball, maybe it's a different conversation. But uh no, I think I think right here, right now, it's it's those four. And if there isn't an option that comes into their sort of wheelhouse in terms of the, the, the financial figures, I think they'll go with those four. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I can see already that uh, that's caused quite the reaction in terms of the comments. Uh, Ryan says we need we need another centre-back. Uh, there, there are a few others asking about uh, two options, really, two names that are coming up. One which has been linked, one which I don't think has. Um, the first being the lad at Fulham. Uh, I'm going to have a go. Tossin Adarabayo. Not bad. Um, that, that was one that they have looked at. It, it's the fact we're now sort of sat here in the middle of July and there's been no progress on that front, or certainly that we've heard anyway. Does that suggest that that one is off the table? I mean, there, there was sort of reports that Arsenal and there were some other clubs linked as well. And there was also reports for a £10 million release clause. Although um, I think I read the, the other day from the full amend that that had now expired. So does that kind of complicate things a little bit as well in terms of, of, of him and Norwich's pursuit of him? Well, I think Arsenal are desperate to get lad Ben White in, aren't they? From uh, the lad who got called up to the England squad with Ben Godfrey, the, the Brighton lad. Um, so whether that would whether that would rule them out of bringing in Adarabayo as well, you would you would think so. Uh, they they've let Saliba, that got a young centre back, go back to France, haven't they, on loan? So um, as always with these things, lots of moving parts. But 
let's be honest, if Arsenal are in for him, then um, I, I don't. There'd be no prospect at all. I don't think of Norwich being able to to compete with Arsenal financially. Um, so, not again one I've heard uh, that currently is is one they're actively pursuing, but certainly one they're aware of. I think it's. I think it's one that, you know, maybe obviously Fulham are under new management. That might be a bit more of a slow burner. Uh, maybe you would imagine they'll want to come back as Norwich did at the first attempt. Maybe maybe that will, will mean that they're, they're keen, keener to hold on to what they deem to be their, their better players. And he, and he certainly would seem to fit into that category. He played pretty much ever present in the Premier League for, for Scott Parker. So um, I, I think what might dictate that is is basically what Fulham decide, you know, whether they're going to keep their key younger players and then build around that or, you know, whether they feel with the finances in play here, dropping out of the Premier League, um, that they might need to, to do some business. But again, yes, one they've looked at, not one I think is uh, is one they're actively pursuing at the minute. There you go. There's uh, there's the latest on the Fulham ad. The other one that has been mentioned a few times is uh, Axel Twanzebe, who was with Villa, wasn't he, during their, their successful championship season. Apparently, Manchester United want to want to loan him out. Norwich, of course, have uh, a loan spot available. I think uh, I think we said last week, didn't we, Pad, that that would be an avenue they'd be willing to explore in terms of centre backs if yeah. um, if if need be. Um, Jake Tidy on YouTube has said Andrew Omavamadele is not ready for the Premier League yet. Norwich need a centre back. It's key to staying up uh, there was another one as well from uh Martz on youtube who says is hanley and oh, hanley gives some premier league quality be honest lads i'll throw that over to you pad thanks connor uh right. <laughs> well, well ultimately how we define in premier league quality have they played if it's played a body of work at premier league level and shown themselves to be you know good enough to operate at that level season in season out then you say no because they haven't got that behind them Grant Hanley has, has had a taste of it. Didn't really feature for Newcastle when he went there in terms of regularity. Um, and injuries really curtailed, you know, his, his opportunities for Norwich two seasons ago. And as for Gibson, we know his backstory. You know, he, he moved to Burnley, hoping that that was the next step for him, having proven himself with his hometown club, Borough, in, in the in the Championship. Whatever's gone on there with him and Sean Dyche, he never got that opportunity. And, and essentially, he goes back now with huge amount to prove in terms of he is a Premier League option. So the answer to the question is we'll, we'll find out, won't we? we? We can't say definitively at the moment because we haven't seen enough of those two in the Premier League. But, you know, if we sat here in 12 months' time and Norwich have stayed up, then I think we can all agree they are Premier League quality and they've played a leading role in that as well. So right here, right now, it's uh, the jury is out, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go. I think that rounds off the, the defensive debate um, quite nicely because I, I, I can see a lot of names being thrown at us, but um, ultimately, I, I think they're, like, they're probably like plastic paddy, Connor. Like plastic. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're all they're all names that um, are desirable, perhaps more than, than being reported. Although one that was mentioned, um, I might be able to find the comment. Uh, bear with me, but it was about Mark Gahey, who looks set for a move to Crystal Palace. Oh, I, believe, yeah. I believe in the report. Uh, that came from the Athletic, didn't it? Um, let me try. I can't find it. Uh, there we go. Nick Deal. There we go, Nick. I, I came to you eventually. He said in the Athletic's coverage of Gay's move to Palace, they said Norwich were a suitor earlier in the window. Uh, I would imagine as soon as the financials got what they are, which is 15, 20 million, then that, that quickly sort of pulled Norwich out of the race. Um, I don't think there's too much to add on that. So there we go. I think that 
that probably rounds up the defensive debate. Pad has kind of summed it up nicely. It's kind of a wait and see. Um, Andrew Ramadele is, is, is going to get a chance to impress um, this pre-season. I did see a good question, which I had before I went on to the other one and I've now lost it. So um, I, the question was along the lines of, uh, I'm sorry, I can't flash it up and, and sorry, I can't say who who asked it, but it, it was in terms of how many more additions, Pad, do you think Norwich City need to make before we can kind of talk about them being um, in a strong position to stay up? Interesting, because running counter to that is what Stuart has said and maintained, that it's quality, not quantity they want, and they want to thin the squad out in terms of pure numbers. Um, Sorry, Tom. There we go. There's the, there's the comment. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, they would, I mean, they would, in an ideal world now, as we sit here now, they, 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 I think they'd like to, they'd definitely still like to do billing. Um, you know, you've spoken to one or two people this week and, and that clear, and I have this morning as well, and that is, a player who they are still actively looking to bring in, irrespective of bringing in Lise Malou, uh, who looks increasingly like a, this is too good to be true, let's uh, let's get over there and get him in the building, rather than he was one who at the start of summer, they thought he's the top of our list in terms of central midfielders. Um, and it certainly has no impact in terms of the pursuit for billing. I think they'd still like to do a defensive midfielder. Um, so there's two, two new additions, irrespective of the situation with Ollie Skip. Um, and I think, They'd like there to be a little bit of movement at the top end of the pitch. Now, yes, they've been quite keen on Adam Armstrong. I think that's unlikely, as the message I keep getting told now, because of the potential levels of... In- bit like the boy Gway, you know, once other Premier League clubs start getting involved and the, the numbers start stacking up and up and up, financial numbers, Norwich will take a step back because they can't they can't trade with a Southampton, for example, if it is Adam Armstrong, hypothetically. Uh, or a Crystal Palace if it's the, the boy guy. So um, it won't seemingly be Armstrong, but they would like to do something. And that also might hold the key to the Jordan Hugel situation. There's been a little bit around Adam Eder this week as well. Uh, that one or two championship clubs would be receptive to taking him on loan. And I think all of those elements are part of the same equation in terms of the strikers. If they can bring somebody in, then reality tells you Timu Puki is probably going to start as the main man. Do you need four frontline strikers the way Daniel sets his teams up? You don't. So I think that would probably facilitate movement for either a Hugel or an Ida. Um, so I guess I've, I've talked up four new additions there, really. Centre defensive midfielder, centre attacking midfielder, maybe another wide player uh, and certainly a striker. So maybe three or four. Now, to answer the question, whether that gives them a chance of staying up, Again, time will tell. But but if you look at who they brought in, you know, Rashica certainly looks to have the pedigree to to have an impact at the top end of the pitch. Billy Gilmore, well, he, he is potential, but what potential? And um, you know, if they get two or three others of that ilk, then they let's put it this way, they'll have a far better chance of staying up than they did two seasons ago when, you know, the, the white flag sadly got raised um a bit too quick. But it will still be a hellishly difficult task, won't it? Because, um, you know, they're competing on an uneven playing field with probably 10 clubs in the Premier League, ultimately, who would all hope or all start with the objective of, first and foremost, we need to stay in a division. And that's what they're up against. Clubs who have far more financial power and have been around the block a lot more than Norwich have at that level. So, you know, whatever they do now, between now and the end of the window, it's still going to be a very, very difficult task. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's it's probably four or five, isn't it? And that's before we've got into anything with Max Aarons. And yeah, I, I guess you could throw Sam Byram into that debate as well in his recovery. Hopeful that he's going to return to, if he hasn't already, full contact training maybe next week with a view to to getting some minutes in those behind closed doors um, games at Colney. He's not going to be one that that is um, is going to be involved tonight. We don't think. Um, let's just let's just talk about Leymalu a bit more because. I think we, we kind of spoke about midfield additions in there. At the start of the window, it was always two. And on the surface, it looks like now they've got those two in terms of Gilmore and Leymalu. But with, with the context you've thrown in about Billing there, and um, I think you're right. I think they are working hard to try and get him to Carrow Road. And then there's obviously the, the defensive one as well. It could end up being more like four midfielders, couldn't it? They, they bring in, if, if they do get Billing and that defensive one that they would like, um, this this increasingly looks like one that you mentioned there, a bit of a, I think we described it earlier in the week um, between ourselves as like a Brucey bonus, didn't we? One that has kind of emerged from nowhere for a fee that is is really, well, relatively cheap um, yeah. for, for a midfielder of his pedigree and age and experience as well. This is the kind of, when we, when we talk about no searching for opportunities in the market, this looks like a deal that kind of epitomises that, doesn't it? All day long. And, and we've said, you've said, you've done pieces that the French market is ripe for deals of this nature because of the the, the financial issues around the the collapsed TV deal, um, and 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 obviously the again the pandemic impact over there in the French league. So yeah, I, I, I mean this guy, I don't think you'd been getting for an initial three and a half million if those factors were, were not in play. Um, you know he's played at a very decent level. He's played in Europe regularly. Uh, we had a little line there, a little fun line on Instagram. Alan Sam Maximan who's a very, very highly rated player at Newcastle, of course, one of the best up-and-coming attacking players in the Premier League, played with him at Nice for two years prior to moving to the North East. And, um, you know, he held his arrival in England, basically said, what a player. So I'll take I'll take his view, even if it's coloured by, you know, friendship, that I think Norwich might have a very decent player. I mean, you can probably talk a bit more than me because you've spoken to, to a, a guy who covers French football at length um, to get more of the inside gen. But speaking to the club, they... They, they see this guy as being a a guy who could play as the, in, in one of the two positions in front of the back four if Daniel's going still with a 4-2-3-1, but also could play further forward, could play in an eight role, Johnny Housen type role. So, you know, it looks like they've bought a multi-purpose player for with the experience of top-level French football and European football who really shouldn't be commanding a fee. At 28, he should be in his prime, really, as well. Norwich should be getting the best years of this guy's career now. So it looks a fantastic piece of business in terms of the financials around it. Time will tell. He has, obviously, to adapt to English football and all that comes with it, moving to a new country. But it could turn into quite an inspired piece of business. No two ways about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just flicking through the comments. Yeah, he certainly seems one that um, looks like he's going to be competing with Kenny McLean, I think, from sort of what, what we've heard and, and everything like that. He sounds like, although perhaps not completely like for like, there's a lot of similarities between the two, although it does sound like with PLA Malou, there's a lot of versatility. And if you're reducing the quantity but upping the quality, then you do need those players that can kind of plug gaps at times, don't you? So he could pop up on the left or the right. I think it wouldn't surprise me throughout the season. Um, the, the French football expert I spoke to, Jeremy Smith, who's a, a French football writer and podcaster, um, said that he'd be very surprised if he was a, a 38 gamer this season. But probably there'll be certain situations where you can drop him in and, and rely on him and, and he'll be consistent and and and, um, and dependable, which is probably in the Premier League for Norwich City. You need that, don't you? You need those performers that 
if the if there's some young guys around you that maybe aren't at their level, you, you need those kind of constant seven seven out of tens every week that can maybe drag you through and win points and, and those experienced heads that could maybe um extract point. I, I spoke about this in the podcast, but that December last time around where they were one 0 up at half time and they perhaps didn't have the nous to see out those games or the quality to see out those games. Maybe additions like him are, are what's needed to do that. But it's going to be interesting to see how he um how he fits in. Um just on on Phil Billing, we, we've kind of spoken about him a little bit. Um where where do you kind of see him fitting into this midfield theoretically pad I mean it's it's not moved on to a great extent I, I don't think is, is probably a fair reflection um, but he's someone that Norwich like and are pushing hard for um, how do you see him coming into this midfield because there's a, a lot of options in there I mean we've seen Sorensen sign a new contract this week Lucas Rupp is is back on trade back in training Billy Gilmore's arrived Le Malou now um, as well I've probably forgotten someone in there um, Kenny McLean <laughs> there you go. So, so that's suddenly gone from perhaps looking quite short of options to if they get these sort of two extras that we're talking about, a defensive midfielder and Philip Billing, quite a bloated area of the squad. So how do you see Phil Billing in particular fitting into their plan in terms of what they want to do in midfield? Well, for me, I'd say two things, Connor. I'd say the first is what you what you said about Lise Malou applies equally to Billing in terms of the versatility of this guy. I mean, he played for Bournemouth in a more deeper line role, almost a playmaker quarterback. But he also played a bit further forward. I think when he came to Cairo towards the back end of last season, he was in a more advanced, he probably wouldn't quite say it was the 10 role, but he was he was certainly between the lines there in terms of advanced of his central midfielders. Um, so you're getting flexibility again. You're getting, again, quantity dropping down overall across the whole squad, but maybe the quality threshold. And because these players, you know, aren't always going to be available to Daniel, um, you know, you've got that, cover element as well that um, you know players can come in and play in slightly different positions week to week second thing I would say though I think for those reasons you've stated that they, they, they now and if they still want to do another defensive midfielder which I wouldn't completely rule out you'd say you know if you're looking at your midfield as a whole the, the more defensive side without the ball protecting your back four if they got another one in you, you'd say maybe they're looking a bit top heavier there in terms of their midfield mix overall but if I look at with the ball and affecting the play and supporting a team Upuki, for example, um, now it's really it's Kieran Dowell, isn't it? It's Mio Rashita, uh, it's uh, it's Todd Cantwell. Um, I think we're, we're all agreed. Maybe Hernandez and Poeta are just a, a step or two down from that in terms of being able to to come in and regularly be considered to play in the Premier League week in, week out. So for me, you're dropping a billing into the mix. It's that end of the pitch where I think he would do the most damage and where maybe Norwich could see extracting the most from him. Um, you know, whether it's him instead of Dow, whether it's him with Dow, you know, that I think just looking at it from afar is probably where he would, because he clearly has that ability. Um, his potential, there's no doubt about it. He wouldn't say he's the finished article yet, but I think Daniel and Stewart, who obviously knows him very well from their time together at Huddersfield, they feel there's a player there that they can, at develop and add more things to their game. And they're, they're starting from a base where they have that quality to impact games in the Premier League. So for me, if Billing comes in through the door, I think primarily you're looking at him more the top end of the pitch because they do they do look at, you know, you've took Wendy out of the equation. Obviously, Steeperman, um, you know, probably wouldn't have been in the mix, but he was a number in that part of the pitch. He's no longer an option. They probably do need to add one, maybe maybe another one, if, you, if you're talking about another striker as well, into that top third of the pitch really where ultimately you know a lot of this 
discussion so far is, is hinged on defensively, and of course they'll need to be fairly solid. But ultimately, Premier League survival might come down to being able to to carry enough of a threat at the top end of the pitch, and you know to turn draws into to to wins or you know salvage a draw because you've got that residual attacking threat both in terms of goals and also creativity. And I think we'd all agree that they lack that over the piece in the Premier League two seasons ago. Yeah, two two more questions in in terms of the midfield. Then, um, first and foremost, is is what we're seeing here probably a reflection of what perhaps we didn't see two years ago when the comment, as as, we, as most people will know from Stuart Webber, is he sent Daniel to to war without a gun. The midfield area of the pitch was of great difficulty. I think throughout the season they ended up with McLean and Teddy, didn't they? And um, those two ended up being quite um, sort of defensive, perhaps more than than they'd like. Is this about? arming Daniel Farker with the tools to change both in games and for games, how he approaches um, that kind of midfield area of the pitch because it is so significant in the Premier League. Yeah, ultimately, you know, there, there was many things they la- they were lacking in and, you know, at the end of the day, they, they pretty meekly bowed out bottom of the yeah. table and a long way bottom as well two seasons ago. Um, but then if you strip it back and then look at the aspects that led up to that ultimate failure, then, you know, of course, the player recruitment, the, the gun analogy, that was pretty high up the list. Um, the, the physicality and, and and the athleticism that was lacking by Stuart and Daniel's own measure. And they've tried to address that in subsequent windows. But but then within, you know, if you'd say that's resource and personnel, put that to the one side, there was also, you know, areas of, of when they're actually on the pitch where they were found wanting. And, and I think it was tactically on occasion. Um, it was maybe a rigidity to, to how they try to go about it. And I thought, we, you know, I know it's the championship, but there was quite a degree of evolution there in terms of, you know, Daniel looked to be happier to build more of a solid base last season and, and, and win games a little bit through stealth rather than putting teams to the sword. Of course, they could do that with a Buendia and a Puki in the, in the side um, and did on occasion. But more often than not, it was more that grinding teams down. And of course, that'll be far harder to do in the Premier League, but at least they'll start from a, hopefully in Daniel's eyes, a more solid base. And it, if that is the case, then it's about adding that creative edge far more than they did before. And and that's why, you know, quality, keep hearing it, quality over quantity. They need to have more quality in the squad. Um, and they also need to retain that flexibility in terms of approach, which I think is is interesting. Well, maybe we'll maybe not so much tonight, but as we progress through preseason, that's one of the f- more fascinating aspects of preseason for me. It isn't so much the personnel that's going to get game time; it's what shape he's putting them into. Because we'll get a lot of clues, hopefully, as we get certainly towards the Sheffield United, less so Gillingham, but more so the Newcastle friendly. Um, we'll get a real window into his thinking for Liverpool and and the Premier League in terms of the setup of the team. And I think that will tell us a lot then in terms of how Daniel views it and views the challenge and, and the best way to go about it. If we're starting to see a little bit more flexibility in terms of the shape of the side uh, and also how they go about it. You know, you've talked liberally this summer, Connor, that you feel maybe it could be more of a, a counter-attacking, counter-punching type, um, you know, with, with players like Rashica and the speed and the, and the, and the, the directness that they've got to their game. And, and that could be the case. And, and it'll be really interesting to see a bit more of that tangibly happening in these preseason games. The interesting element for me on that is that Rashica is a player primarily or certainly has been at Werder Bremen and, and Norwich could look to 
to alter the sort of role that he plays, but he has been someone that tends to be on the end of moves rather than someone who's picking up. And like we did see with Wendy, would drop deep and try and sort of knit yeah. the, the phases of play together. He's not that sort of player. I think he is capable of doing it, but certainly to a lesser extent, I think he's someone who wants to get in behind and run at players and score goals primarily, perhaps more than create them. So that's an interesting element and probably lends itself again to a more counter-attacking style. But um, as you say, we, we shall see. Um, just finally on, on the midfield it's not really a midfield question, but I can sort of link it to a midfield signing, I suppose, which is Le Malou. Uh, I'm the dude dude says, uh, will uh, Norwich still be shopping in France? We mentioned it's a, a market with a lot of value. They, they've certainly been monitoring it for a while. I think I've said on, on one of these before um, in terms, uh, it might have been even a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't be totally surprised to see a signing from France. We've we've now got one. Pad, do, do you think we'll, we'll see another follow? I, we've seen Norwich have popular markets before, haven't we? I guess particularly the German market, if there is, for all the reasons that we've stated due to coronavirus and the Claps TV deal that we've seen sort of last season that has uh, have left a lot of football clubs in, in France on the on the financial brink, I suppose. Do you see that, I guess, do you see more players following Limalou from, from that particular part of the world? I certainly wouldn't rule it out. And, and it isn't just this window and, and the situation that we've described it becomes more advantageous for those reasons. But, you know, I go back two or three windows and remember the, the guy who I think was it, was he actually at Nice? Did he end up playing with Lima Lua, Claude Maurice? You know, they were linked yeah. to him quite, quite heavily, weren't they? And there was even talk of bids gone in and bids rejected. So, so France as a market has been there all along. It's not suddenly been bolted onto their recruitment strategy. Um, and I think, yeah, I think for those reasons, because what have we discussed at length in this past sort of 45 minutes or so, it's, Centre-backs, domestic market, Aya, Adarabayo, uh, Guayi, figures that are just probably out of Norwich's remit at the moment. The value isn't there for them. The value certainly, as was demonstrated quite clearly with Lee Malou coming in, there for them in France. So if they decide they, they still need a centre-back or a centre-forward or you know an attacking mid, if, if Billing isn't going to be one they can get over the line, then all day long, I think they'll be really looking at France now because you know that that's in terms of where Norwich are now and what they're pitching themselves to try and achieve, that quality can be sourced in France, there's no doubt about it, at the right price. So, yeah, I wouldn't rule, it, I wouldn't rule out another addition or two from that market, mate, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was trying to think um, earlier this week, actually, when it was done and the 3.5 million figure was was one that was sort of being banded about and one that, that we were hearing. Um, if, if he was a, a similar type of player who'd been playing in the Premier League yeah. and had the amount of experience in the Premier League, how much would he cost? And I think you're probably looking at upwards of £10 million, pounds, aren't you? And that's, again, what we talk about in terms of opportunities. Before we get on to the, the striker debate, Pat, to close, uh, this is an interesting question from Wrighty on YouTube. Uh, he said, of all the, and in brackets, he put realistic names you've heard this window so far, which one would you lads love to see in the matchday squad against Liverpool. I'm uh, I'm happy for you to go first on that, uh, to give me a little bit of thinking time if, if you want to, or I can try and, uh, and, and think uh, quickly. Uh, Phil Connor, because I'm, I've got, I've literally got a list here, our, our esteemed colleague Dave Freezer, he, he collates them all, and I think yeah. it runs about 100 names or so now, so I'm just going to, if you fill for a little bit longer, I've got it here. And I'm gonna, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm, here we go, for, yeah. For so me, pick one out, pick one out, go, go on, on, mate. Well, um, I think, I think I think the obvious one is probably Adam Armstrong, isn't it? In terms of, yeah. of striking options, whether you put him in the realistic category now, though, I'm not quite sure. I, I think Billing is a really interesting one 
purely because I'm intrigued to see how or where he would play for Norwich and how Norwich would incorporate him into into their system. He's, he's a, a very different midfield option to what they have. Tall, um, a little bit awkward at times in, in, in the way he plays. Perhaps technically not as good as, as say, someone like Billy Gilmore, but certainly airily and physically would offer them something they don't have. So that would probably be an intriguing one from my perspective. Uh, any more to add to that, Pat? Well, I mean, we're, if we're going to get into a striker debate, uh, I'm going to sort of segue as if we'd planned this uh, and throw out... Remember the guy, uh, I think it was more towards the back end of last season rather than the summer, but uh, the guy who was scoring, I think he was the top scorer in the Eredivisie, Georgius Giacomakis from Venlo, Greek international, um, who was linked... Uh, think he, at that point he was a, he, well he was he, he's an international teammate of obviously Yanulis uh, um, and I've not seen it I've not seen whether it be Norwich or anybody else him get the, at that point it was some of the top clubs in in Holland were looking at him um, but I'd have to double check again but I, I haven't seen his name uh, in a, any sort of confirmed moves this summer so there's a striker Dutch market. Might be some value in it. He's he's coming off. He, it was an unbelievably hot season. I think he scored twenty five league goals off the top of my head. Um, and Norwich, as we'll, we're probably about to get into, do need quite rightly, as as Andy J says, that man needs some serious competition, uh, and not maybe in Adam Eder's case, somebody who could potentially provide competition with a bit more first team exposure at Premier League level. No, a guy who comes in and the goat knows he's got to continue to maintain his levels at slash if there's any fitness issues that continue on and he's not available, somebody who could come straight into that team. And unlike, sadly, a Josip Dermic, you know, still offer that attacking threat at the highest level, you know, one of the highest club levels there are in world football. So, um, you know, it might be wishful thinking because you probably, uh, a guy who scored 25 plus goals in the Dutch top flight, if there's serious interest elsewhere, uh, in, in, in Holland. We saw Steven Berghaus, didn't we? You know, he was a player who clearly Norwich had looked at and ended up going to Ajax. You know, a bit like Norwich going up against Premier League rivals if they're going up against maybe Ajax or PSV. I, I don't think there's, there's going to be going to be a one winner and that winner is Norwich. So, but, but that type of signing, because I think that would send that would send a clear signal. That would be, you know, yes, of course we value Timu and everything brings to us and he's such an integral part of what we're trying to do and still do. Um, but, you know, we've now armed the squad with a serious rival in terms of competition for him inside the group, but also somebody who could score goals. And I repeat what I said, you know, if they don't score enough goals or create enough chances, it doesn't matter what they do defensively, they'll go down. So uh, they need, they need, I think, to add. And the fact that they clearly have looked at Adam Armstrong is, for me, if you're an Norwich fan, you should be quite encouraged by that because they are serious about bringing in some serious firepower. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, I, I know I said final question on the midfield, but Cameron has, has asked a good one about Gilmore. Oh, we're, on and, we're on strikers now, Connor. Sorry, but but just uh, just to row back a little bit, how long until Gilmore and Leymalu are in training? I think Leymalu are expecting to to join up relatively quickly, not tonight. Um, I, I think that's that's probably one for next week, isn't it? Billy Gilmore uh, probably. I'm trying to think of the timeline now in terms of the Euros. How many weeks has it been since Scotland got knocked out? Um, I mean, we'll get a definitive. Yeah, sorry, Connor. We'll get a definitive. We'll ask Daniel about that tonight. Obviously, after the game at the walks, Lee Malou. I've been told Tuesday. I think his quarantine ends, uh, subject to the you know negative tests and so on, as as Rashid's are had to go through. So it won't be before, well, which would rule out the Lincoln behind closed doors game. So may, maybe Wednesday onwards. Um, probably means a bit too early for Huddersfield. But who they got after that? Is it the Coventry game after that? Is that the next one after Huddersfield? I think. Yes. It is. 
clearly so maybe, is, yeah. maybe that, that could be you know subject to maybe fans being allowed in that might be your first sighter of him in an orange shirt but uh gilmore um I would expect. I'd be surprised. I've seen Tim Krull a little bit on social media in the last twenty-four hours. He's he's obviously still ticking over. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's not next week. You'd think it'd certainly be the following when we start to see them back in the building. But Daniel will will clarify hopefully on that front in terms of Gilmore and Krull and, and Pookie and any of the other Euro boys Poeta, um after the game tonight because we'll, we'll definitely ask him on that. Right, strikers. I know people are absolutely desperate to get to it. I can see it already in in the comments. Various uh, names being banded about. Um, in in terms of what Norwich City are looking for in terms of a striker pad, do you see this as them bringing in someone to be a frontline option, someone who can play in place of Timu Puki? Do you see someone who is supporting Timu Puki? How how do you kind of see their chase for a striker at, at this moment in time? As I'm speaking to you, mate, I've I've gone and found uh, the profile and. Yakamakis, he's still at Venlo, so that's good. 26 years of age. Um, and this will answer the question, I think. He's got two years left on a current deal. Uh, and last season, his stats were ridiculous. Let's just call these up now, yeah. So I can talk from a position of actual, as if I've done some research. Um, he scored 26 league goals in 30 Eredivisie appearances. That's not a bad ratio, is it? 26 in 30, you take that um, this is this is an interesting quote from him that someone's um, copy and pasted in, uh, that, well, where he's just where he said there will be news soon. It's not about the country or the club. It's especially important about the uh, the, the playing time suits me. So um, so there you yeah. go. That's uh, that's a bit ominous. So it sounds like yeah, his future yeah. will be sorted out one way or another fairly soon. Yeah, um, we need to reiterate here. This isn't us talking because we've had it on authority that this man is is about to enter the building. That was in response to a question of of who we'd like of all the ones they've been linked with to come through the door. But that type of player with that pedigree, you know, 26 years of age, 26 goals in 30 appearances in the league last season, reasonably good level Holland as well. So for me, that's the type of signing they need to be making because, uh, you know, it it would appear Hugel isn't really in their thoughts for frontline action. Adam Eder, yes, they expect him to step up, but by the same token, there's no guarantees there. And of course, then we get onto Timu and, Less about can he score goals in the Premier League because we saw that that he could when he was fit. It's more about the fitness for me, and he's had such a heavy workload over the last three or four seasons. You know, he okay, he'll say uh, the ankle wasn't bothering him at the Euros, but we all saw with our own eyes that wasn't the team of Pookie fit and firing in a Norwich shirt. So you have to have huge concerns if you if you're a Norwich fan, I think, and certainly maybe if you're Farker and Weber, they wouldn't share those publicly clearly, but they know that if Team Pookie isn't able to shoulder the, the burden this time around, they need to source goals from somewhere else. So, yeah, I think um, to answer the question, they need to bring in somebody who's ready to go right here, right now. And then it will be battle, let battle commence. Ultimately, that's what they're trying to foster all through the, the team, isn't it? That, that, that there isn't a shoe-in or there isn't too many shoe-ins in that 11 week to week. Because if you can drive up the level of competition and the level of quality, the overall outcome should be increasing Norwich's performance levels. Yeah, a lot of people pointing out that Giamakis has been linked with Southampton, who uh, who look like they're going to lose Danny Ings this summer, don't they, to Tottenham? Or... They, were linked, they were heavily linked with Adam Armstrong, yeah. It's very true, yeah, as well. Um, this is uh, this is uh, an interesting one from uh, Norwich City Central, which I'll bring up. Anything on Andros Townsend? Said he's close to joining a Premier League club with a non-British manager and a team not in London. I think he, he said north of Watford as well, so we can probably rule Watford out. Um, 
Pad, uh, I'll throw Andros Townsend to you. I, I'm kind of, well, I, I, I think I know your answer anyway, to be honest. And if you don't add it, then I will. But Andros Townsend for you to Norwich, what, what do you think about that one? Only if he's passing through to the broads on holiday, mate. I don't see it any other way. Uh, I mean, the finances straight away, even before you get into the age profile and, you know, decent player on his day. And, uh, you know, it's pretty decent Premier League show reel, hasn't he? Uh, that goal he whacked in at Man City a season or two back for Palace, that was something yeah. special. But, um, no, I don't, I, don't think he'll be, I don't think he'll be troubling the scorers at Norwich. Um, but I'll be interested to see what this team is north of Watford. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, I think it, it basically, uh, and it's, it's not going to be Norwich, um, it will, what, Leeds, you've got Everton, and he, I, believe, I don't know if he crossed over with Benitez at Newcastle when he was there, but if Benitez was manager at Newcastle, then that could be one that makes sense. Um, Wolves as well have a foreign coach, don't they? Like, he's only 30. I mean, it's um, uh, it's, it's an interesting, it feels like he's been around forever, but yeah, not not one that, that we're expecting to... Is, is, to he's a free, is he a free agent then, Connor? Is yeah. He, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go, straight away. What sort of wages would he be commanding? It'd be, it's very similar to the Josh King scenario then, isn't it, ultimately? Who, uh, you know, his wages were way outside Norwich's stratosphere. So can't see Andros Townsend uh, bringing his wage demands down to a level that it would make sense for Norwich. So on that measure alone, I think we can move on. In terms of the, the striker debate pad, and, and I suppose we can, well, it's probably, can't really throw Andros Townsend into that, but how, in terms of where Norwich are at with it, do you think it, this is something that's live? Do you think they have got someone that they've identified that they're pursuing? Do you think they're at, Shortlist, longlist stage. Where, where do you kind of get the feeling their striker pursuit is at at the moment? I don't, I don't think we're at the shortlist stage, or certainly, um, you know, getting to the end game with anything. Um, that's that's not the signals we're getting this week, certainly. Um, but they, they clearly, by the fact that they, you know, they were quite happy to, you know, put it out there that Armstrong is one they've looked at. You know, it, it, it is a long held objective this window and and again as we were talking about maybe the centre-back drops down a priority list maybe the striker at the start of summer was a bit lower down and now it's you know it's rising to the top to a degree as they do their other bits of business um and obviously you know the context of we've now seen the euros we've now seen Timu at the euros and didn't really you know wouldn't wouldn't it wouldn't allay let's put it that way any fitness concern you've got having watched him play as he did for Finland so for all those reasons I think now Increasingly, it might it might become more of a, an issue, and you might start to see a few more names linked to Norwich. But right here, right now, no, I don't don't get any indication that there's there's one that they've targeted and and they're, they're close to bringing it over the line. But of course, you know, they 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 kept Rashidza very under wraps, didn't they? Given he was it was all done and dusted out in Germany, they didn't quite get to that same state with Lise Malou. But um, you know, these deals that can be pieced together well away from. The likes of me and you, mate, and the, the prying eyes of the media and social media in the UK, they're a bit easier to keep under wraps. So you'd never say never with Norwich, uh, but certainly at this stage, no, I've got nothing to suggest that um, strike is imminent. But I think it's quite exciting. Things move quickly, don't they? Things they move do. quickly. Of course they do. Yeah. And, and it was that's a very fair point that Yakamakis is being linked with Southampton because ultimately you will have probably two or three Premier League clubs who maybe want a striker and they'll all have because it's a very small sort of circuit, they'll all have maybe similar names on those lists. So if Southampton go and do a bit of business, then you would think logically that would suggest that maybe they they, they drop out of an Armstrong race and then maybe Norwich have a better chance of getting an Armstrong. So this is the nature of it. You know, that the, the ones who are available or could be available 
are pretty small talent pools and 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 Premier League clubs will all know which ones are available. And if they're all targeting similar positions at a pitch, that's what you're up against. So hence why it probably pays to keep a few things as tightly under the wraps as you can. So uh, you, you don't give any incentive to any potential suitors because I'm sure, like uh, Lise Malou, I'm sure if uh, there would have been plenty of takers for him at that level. Um, but Norwich, fair play to them, did what they, they often do and uh, got in, did their business and got out again. So... Yeah, we will see. But, um, you know, I'm looking down. It's the 16th of July and we have to reiterate, you know, the window goes right through to the end of August. So that's still, what, thick end of six weeks. Plenty of time for things to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Just just to balance it out on on Giamakasu, again, just to reiterate before anyone sort of runs with it, we're, we're not saying, because uh, particularly uh, with the St- Stephen Zubar stuff, I'm very keen not to start transfer rumours again. Um, uh, not saying that he's one that Norwich are pursuing. In fact, I, I would I would argue that um, I know there's certainly a school of thought in the recruitment side of things that the Dutch league, particularly in terms of strikers and centre-backs, is very hard to kind of gauge the quality of where a player is because um, certainly when they're coming over to England there's been a lot of players that have come over from Holland that um, have done very well but equally an, an equal amount who, who have perhaps struggled for, for whichever reason so I, I think for Norwich it's a market they find very difficult to to decipher for both centre-backs and strikers not to say he's not on the list but um, just just something to add a, a little bit of balance to it um, a few more questions then Pat but I'll, I'll start with this one uh, from Aaron, who uh, said, "Do you expect uh, there we go? Do you expect more signings before the first game of the season, or likely more after the first game before the window closes? How, how do you see Norwich's window panning out from here? I mean, we've, we've obviously seen Malou this week. We haven't seen an awful lot of chatter around other additions. Of course, that we were kind of expecting that as preseason goes up, the chatter tends to go down, doesn't it? That's that's yeah. kind of the way it, it, it works. But Norwich still very much active, still very much looking, and uh, as we said, I." I particularly wouldn't be surprised if we saw something else in the next week or, or, or two, to be completely honest. Well, certainly if the dividing line is that Liverpool game, then yeah, I mean, that's just under a month away now. For the simple reason, Daniel Farker wanted to work with these potential players uh, and bend them in. You know, we, we've seen looking off to go down and have a chat with Milo Rashidze yesterday at Car Road. And and even he said, a lad who's played, you know, top end of the Bundesliga for a few seasons, that it, it, it took him a little bit of a time to adapt to, to what Daniel was demanding from him in training and the, the intensity that Norwich train at, um, as well as the understanding, although he says he, from what the chats he had with Daniel prior to signing, he feels Norwich's style will suit him. But that work on the training ground is, is if you're Daniel Farker, pretty essential. So he will want players in long before Liverpool, if it's doable. But of course, then the ball moves to Stewart's court and, and trying to get these deals over the line. But yeah, I'd be... I would be very surprised if we get to Liverpool now, just over, just under, sorry, a month away, and there's been no further additions. That that would be a, quite a surprise because Daniel will want as much time with these characters at Colney um, to prepare them for what he wants, what demands he's going to place on them as we go into the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's end with, with Jack's question then, which is about Philip Billing. Um, he said, let's flash it up. There we go. It's the reason Norwich are still getting linked with Billing because he'll be playing in behind the streak. A striker, sorry, much like Marco Stieperman uh, would be make a lot of sense considering how well him and Puki did together. Um, obviously, first and foremost, uh, we'll send our best to Marco Stieperman, who clearly is still recovering from from what sounds like long COVID, which just goes to show, doesn't it, on, on a more sort of serious level, the impact that this this virus can make for a 30 year old who's a professional athlete and has, has really felt the full effects of it so all the best to him and hopefully we'll, we'll see him 
get back playing soon. Um, although at what level and to what extent, I think is is probably going to be interesting to see. But just to to go back to to, to the question from from Jack Pad, is is the attraction with Billing his ability to play similar to Lise Malou, I guess. Um, a, a variety of roles in that midfield. I guess there's a physicality point as well, isn't it? He would bring something in terms of pure size that Norwich City don't have in there. Um, it is, it, as, as I said earlier, it would be really intriguing to see how he'd fit into this to this setup and, and, and this system. Where do you kind of um, see Daniel Farker's thinking with, with Philip, Philip Billing? Do you see him as a 10 option, which is where he played primarily last season under Jonathan Woodgate at Bournemouth? Well, to, and to be fair, that's, the position that's been mentioned to me in terms of where Norwich would see him that operating in that ten competition for yeah I'm just called now, yeah. yeah I've just called a bit stats here now and you know I'm surprised he's actually played seventy seven times in the Premier League for a guy who's you know what age is he? he's twenty five that does surprise me but because I I thought he you know he was kind of on the fringes of it at Huddersfield prior to clearly joining Bournemouth but. That's a decent body of work in terms of you know Premier League exposure. So you've, you've got a bit of experience there about it, what it's all about. Three goals, one assist, though, in those 77 games. That's not tremendous output. And then his championship record, as you'd understand, as you'd expect, slightly lower level. 72 games, very similar amount of games in the championship. 11 goals, five assists. They're not huge numbers. They're certainly not Buendia-type numbers, are they? But that's probably an unfair comparative with any player um, in terms of attacking output from an attacking midfielder but but ultimately as I say if they think the raw material is there and that this is a guy that they can work with and develop and those things can be added to his game the goals and the assists in great and multiples um, and how he would also fit within the team dynamic and how Daniel wants to set the team up then I think you'd have to say that 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 probably is where they would see him operating in that link role it's a very great point from Jack I, I, I think Dal showed that he could operate in that role in the in the championship, but you know again it was a very small sample, and he is unproven in the in the Premier League. I think he's got one appearance when he was at Everton. That was against Norwich. I think he made his debut against Norwich. Um, so there's a question mark against him stepping up as much as there is against an Bama Daily. Maybe to a lesser extent, he's a bit older, a bit more experienced. But Kieran Dowell has never done it in the Premier League, so I don't think you can hang your hat on him and being Norwich's number ten uh, moving into the new season uh, week in week out. Um, for those reasons, yeah, I think they see Billing in that role, both to provide competition and maybe to take the shirt. But, you know, looking at those numbers, three goals, one assist in 77 Premier League appearances, you'd certainly want a bit more output than that. But, you know, it is all about spotting the potential and then developing what they, they feel they've already got to work with with a guy like that. And, you know, he's not a youngster, is he? 100, 140, 150 appearances in the top two divisions. You know, a bit like uh, Elise Malou, there's there's an experience to bringing in a player of that calibre, uh, aside from the, the quality. So, as I say, last I heard on that was, you know, Norwich would like the player to come. I think the player himself is is willing to consider maybe leaving Bournemouth, um, but, but Bournemouth's valuation probably needs to reflect that as well. And if that doesn't change, then, you know, they might have to ultimately admit defeat as they, as they ultimately did with, with Christopher Ayer. So, um, you know, we'll watch that space. But I think Norwich are ready to, to play the long game with that if, if they think there's a realistic chance of bringing him over the line. Um, and it's certainly definitely one they would like to bring in, no two ways about it. But, yeah, I think if you're asking me now, if that deal was done and he was in the building, where would, he, where would we see him playing? I think it'd be the top end of the pitch, no two ways about it. 
Lovely stuff. Pad, uh, thank you very much. Of course, we'll, we'll be live later from the walks uh, for the team news or whichever time that drops. This is the joy of pre-seasons. You can never fully uh, pencil things in, but we, we'll be live from the walks later. So do come and join us for that and, and we'll look ahead to Norwich City's first uh, pre-season game against Kings Lynn. We'll probably explain uh, or answer a, a different set of questions to those we have today. But um, of course, not sure. Next week is the Huddersfield friendly, isn't it? So we might have to shift around which day we do this but we will we'll communicate that with you and um, we'll be back with this next week uh, at some point thank you all very much for watching pinkin.com of course the place to go for full coverage of no city's opening pre-season friendly against kingsland town um hopefully see some of you there this evening um, we'll see you again very very soon thanks for watching